This week on the Vergecast, tons of phone news. Becca, Chris, Dan joined Dieter and I to talk about the Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event, the Note 20, the Note 20 Ultra, Pixel 4a, the Galaxy Bud Live, which should have been called the Galaxy. It's so much. There's so much going on in this Vergecast. It's coming up now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Mystic Bronze. Hazy Mystic Bronze. That was my favorite part of the Samsung event. Like my favorite and least favorite part at once is like Samsung introduced a color and like talked about it too much. I'm your friend, Eli. I'm here. Hi. Dieter Bone is here. Hi. Also friendly. Not your friend. It's always so threatening from Dieter. (laughs) We're doing something different today. Usually uh, on the Vergecast, what we do is we bring in one reporter to talk about one thing for... Uh, you know, a period of time, and then that person leaves, and we bring on another reporter. Today, we've decided to bring on three reporters the, the whole time and just have chaos. So Chris Welch is here. Hi, Chris. Hello. How's it going? Becca Fasacci is here making her Vergecast debut. Let it rip. It's gonna, this is going to be amazing. Dan Seifert is here. Hi. <laughs> so this is an audio show, but Dan, can you tell us about the shirt that you're wearing right now? Please, Dan, explain yourself. I'd rather not, but... <laughs> So uh, I'm wearing a shirt that says it's it's a dark shirt and in big white block letters across the chest, it says Bixby. Wow. Um, what you can't see in, in our little video chat is that below it, it says specialty coffee roasters. So there's actually a coffee company called Bixby Coffee Roasters. And I signed up for their coffee like a year ago. And part of the promotion was they send you a free t-shirt. Do they have a mascot? Is it a dog with shoes? They have a mascot and it is a dog. I have never (laughs) seen its feet though. So I do not know if it is wearing shoes. I would assume it is. Look, we don't do a lot of like uh, integrated sponsorships, but if they put some shoes on this dog, like let's Bixby Coffee Roasters, come on. It's good coffee. So our, our merch store is down right now. Like, we, you can't buy a Verge t-shirt right now because we're switching vendors and doing all stuff, but we're, we're bringing it back up. And so I went to a meeting yesterday with Will, our creative director, and all these other people, talking about what t-shirts we're going to put back in the store. Then at the end of it, TC, our executive editor, was like, where's the emails t-shirt? And there was like this moment of silence. And then everyone looked at me on the Zoom and I was like, we need to have the emails t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so the emails t-shirt is coming back. I demand it. It's the only shirt that will outlast the, I think, the entire the entire project of The Verge. Okay, that's our cast for today. As always, I want to start with updates on a virus. 
the movement for racial justice in this company, the two biggest stories in the world. They will outlast any of the phones we talk about today, I assure you. 21 weeks. Do I even have to say it? It's been 21 weeks since the president presented to the nation a flowchart about testing. Google and its 5 million engineers have not yet built such a website. The testing situation is bad. It needs to get better. 21 weeks since we saw the flowchart. However, Apple and Google this week, uh, you know, their COVID-19 contact tracing tool uh, has been implemented in both iOS and Android. Virginia is the first state to release an app that uses those APIs. Alabama has an app in beta. So we're seeing the fruits of that labor come to America. It's coming out in other countries around the world. Eventually, both companies are going to make that functionality exposed in the primary user experience. They're going to build it into the operating system. But right now, you need an app from your state. That's important because your state has to validate that you got a positive test and then notify everybody else. Apple and Google don't have themselves testing capabilities. So the first steps towards phone-based contact tracing are um, coming out in America, in Virginia. Again, beta test in Alabama. If you live in Virginia, just download the app. I'm not going to tell you that you should make a choice. I'm just telling you what to do. Just download it. Everybody <laughs> should, like, if your state has the app, you should download the app. Nicole Wetzman wrote a piece this week about skipping steps on the road to a vaccine. You should read that. It's a very cogent analysis of how fast we're going towards a vaccine and the necessary steps to make sure it's safe and that people take it. That's very important. And then because COVID just keeps intersecting with tech all of the time, Twitter and Facebook both took action against President Trump this week over Basically, Trump basically tweeted or posted uh, that children, are, I think he said they were immune to COVID-19, which is absolutely not true. Just not true. Um, children actually died from COVID-19 already. Um, Facebook removed the post. Twitter blocked the Trump campaign, not the pres- not real Donald Trump, but the Trump campaign account from tweeting until it removed this misinformation. I think we're seeing very clearly Twitter is just taking a harder line um, and Facebook is following behind. I would point out, because it's the thing I always point out, that just a tiny bit of competition here has made Facebook uh, behave itself. The second thing that we are constantly tracking, which is also just now running fully into the election that's coming up, uh, is the movement for racial justice. Uh, Addie Robertson had a story that published just minutes before we started recording. This one is wild. Uh, During a protest in Nutley, New Jersey, the cops were being friendly with counter-protesters. So a Black Lives Matter protester took a photo of a cop, tweeted it out, and said, can anybody identify this cop? The cops charged that person with a felony and then also charged four people who retweeted that tweet with a felony um, of cyber harassment. Absolutely wild case. The ACLU is involved. It's going to have repercussions. If if retweeting something rises to the level of felony harassment, uh, the entire Internet will change, at least in Nutley, New Jersey. So we're keeping an eye on that. Read that story. It is completely built out. Addy and Russell did a great job uh, reporting that one down to the ground. Seeing the election and the stakes of the election, uh, Snapchat is planning in-app voter awareness tools to make sure people know how to vote. The president himself is obviously publishing a lot of misinformation about mail-in voting. Uh, He's pushing that very hard. So I think the platforms are going to start pushing back on that. We're seeing that with Snapchat. And then we interviewed Ron Wyden on the Vergecast on Tuesday. Addy and I uh, talked to the senator for a while. There's a thing that's happening. It's not getting enough press. I don't think we've paid attention to it. We obviously asked the center about it. Uh, But Mike O'Reilly is a commissioner of the FCC. He is a very conservative. I would say on balance, I have not agreed with Michael O'Reilly on most things. But obviously, Trump had the executive order asking the FCC to enforce 230 to talk about conservative bias. O'Reilly gave a speech 
in which he said, I have First Amendment concerns about this. I don't want to regulate social media platforms. The last thing we want is to impose the fairness doctrine on the Internet. Within days, his renomination to a second term in the FCC was withdrawn. So it was obvious retaliation. The Wall Street Journal opinion page was like, that's a little cancel culture The Wall Street Journal opinion page is obviously very conservative. Um, and then we asked Senator Wyden about it. And Wyden was very clear uh, that Trump's attempts to influence the FCC in this way are inappropriate. Um, and he made a direct link to the president wanting to publish misinformation about mail-in voting and using pressure on the social media platforms uh, to allow him to do that. So all of these things just seem connected to me. We're paying a lot of attention to them. I don't want to. I don't want to indicate because we're going to talk a lot about phones that we're not paying attention to them. But as I say every week, our audience tells us they need a break, so we're going to talk about some phones. But it's on the site. I want you to pay attention to it. It's it's top of mind for all of us. Okay, let's talk about some tech news. There are phones this week. The reason we have the whole cast assembled is because there was uh, the Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event. Lots of Samsung news, Pixel news this week. Mm-hmm. But also, I just want to run through this timeline. Absolute chaos in the TikTok world. <laughs> the president basically said, I will ban TikTok on August 1st. He said, I'll yeah. ban it tomorrow. How many, how many weeks has it been since the president said a thing about <laughs> it's tech? Been, it's been one week <laughs> since the president said he would ban TikTok tomorrow. <laughs> that escalated into Microsoft being involved somehow. Microsoft put out a statement saying, we've heard from the president. Uh, we've, Sasha Nadella has talked to the president directly. We are in conversations to buy parts of TikTok. We will complete those by September 15th or not. And the U.S. Treasury is going to get its cut. It's very complicated. No one knew what that meant when Microsoft published it. Mm-hmm. The president followed up by saying either TikTok's going to get sold by September 15th or it's going to go out of business. And then he said this thing about the Treasury getting its cut, which was someone's got to pay the Treasury. If not for me, this deal wouldn't be happening. So we have to get paid. He likened it to key money, which is an illegal uh, landlord extortion scheme in New York City. The man was a New York City landlord, so I feel like maybe he's just applying some former knowledge to the present. We don't know what's going to go on with Microsoft and TikTok. Now it appears that what Microsoft is being pressured to do is buy all of TikTok, not just the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, but the whole operation. No one knows how you could even buy part of a social network. Russell Brandon wrote a great piece about that this week. Uh, buying a social network with an algorithm that is built in China and segregating it by geography seems very challenging. I'm sure Microsoft mm-hmm. can pull it off. They're a big company. Um, I'm sure it would go just as well as a Nokia acquisition. <laughs> Heck, I mean, I kind of want them to buy TikTok. Then there was, uh, was this Wednesday, Dieter? Like, we woke up on Wednesday. We were, like, getting ready to deal with the iMac that came out. Yeah. And then... Axios published, Apple is interested in buying TikTok. We asked <laughs> Apple. They were like, no. Abs- no. No. Uh, so then they denied buying t- that they were even interested or that they ever would. And then like 20 minutes later, they were like, a new iMac is here. Uh, and then 20 minutes after that, Phil Schiller announced that he was moving on to be an Apple fellow, which definitely sounds like the next level of Scientology. I'm just going to be honest about that. Um, so just a confusing array of events with Apple. And then Instagram launched Reels, its competitor to TikTok, which is yeah. flatly a clone of TikTok. I don't care yeah. what they say about it. It looks and feels exactly like TikTok without anything interesting going on. Have you all used Reels? No. I have not. <laughs> I, I think I've, I, I don't know if I've actually opened TikTok since Reels launched, or I, excuse me, opened Instagram since Reels launched. So I, uh, it took me a while to get it. 
the first Instagram reel that I saw. Becca's on her phone right now looking at it. I, I need to look. I haven't even seen it. I think this says everything. The first Instagram reel that was served to me was Jessica Alba doing a TikTok meme. I got that too. I think that's the one they programmed for everyone. Yeah. Okay, I haven't started. It's like create, get started. Should we see what I get fed first? Yeah. It's going to be Jessica Alba doing a TikTok me. Oh my gosh, this is so cute. No, I got a mommy bear playing no games. That's and, the one I got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you and me, Becca, were the same person to the algorithm. Incredible. <laughs> wow. Who would have thought? I heard from a lot of people who got the Jessica Alba doing the TikTok dance. I think that was like, they had like three or four. What'd you get? You got, yeah, Chris Welch has Jessica Alba doing the TikTok dance. I think they paid Jessica Alba a lot of money to launch Instagram Reels. Yeah. But it's funny because the thing that she made was a TikTok meme. Like, very obviously, they were like, this is TikTok. Here's a more famous person doing a thing that you like from TikTok. So I, I have two things to point out here. Yeah. One, um, I noticed how quickly you moved to wanting us to talk about reels to prevent me from saying that you explaining the TikTok of that story has me reeling. No, so, Jesus Christ, either. Come on. Come on, man. <laughs> You're me. Um, two, I have reels, but I can't use the audio because at some point in the past, I accidentally clicked the button that says, make my account a business account. And then I was like, this is dumb. And I undid it. And I just, they don't let business accounts do audio in reels. So I just like, don't get to play around with it. I feel so bad for you, famous influencer on Instagram. <laughs> I clicked the button. That's sorry. I was on CNBC and they asked me this question, which I think says everything about this whole drama, which was, well, now that Instagram has reels, it's fine to kick out TikTok, right? Because Facebook mm. will just have, and I was like, I don't, we just had a whole antitrust hearing. Like Facebook is not great. Like they shouldn't just be able to clone every company. And I think that dynamic is real. I also think that it's not as good. Like to, uh, the interview show on Tuesday is Taylor Lawrence from the New York Times. So that's coming up on Tuesday. And like the thing I want to ask her when I talk to her tomorrow is Instagram is like a social product. Like it's about who you follow and TikTok. I don't even have a TikTok account. I just have the app on my phone and it mm. just like magically figured out that what I really want to see is like extremely expensive Bluetooth grilling equipment. That's what I want from TikTok. And that's what it shows me. It's great. It's that and like people doing dumb things with cars. I'm sure everyone else's TikToks are great. Instagram does not know that about me, right? Like TikTok figure that out. It's an interest-based social network, not a social like social graph network. I don't think Instagram can figure it out. I don't think they will be able to get there nearly fast enough because all of TikTok's energy has been on that recommendation engine. Like it is effectively just a, a massively good recommendation engine. And it has infinite content to show you. So we'll see. Uh, like I said, like I said, I'm talking to Taylor tomorrow about all of this. You'll hear that on Tuesday. I don't want to burn too much time on it because I think she will know what she's talking about. But that is the timeline. Six days since the president promised he would ban TikTok. But he did set a deadline. So I'm not going to start counting until the deadline comes. I got, I got one reporting trick and it's counting. All right. Phones. Now we're going to talk a lot about phones. Dieter. Would you like to talk about phones that exist or phones that don't exist? Don't exist. <laughs> we just had Sundar on the show, like, what was it, two months ago? Mm -hmm. And we we're like, what's up with Pixels? And he was like, we got to make him good. Yeah. Did he make him good? I mean, he made, they made, he made one, one good. Uh, <laughs> so the Pixel 4a has been announced and released. Uh, I reviewed it. Uh, a bunch of us here on this 
actually the podcast have used one, but because the Pixel 4a is late and we can talk about why, uh, it is really close to when we're assuming the Pixel 5 is going to come out. So Google is like, you know what? Yeah, we're making a Pixel 5. It'll be out here this fall. Also, there's going to be a Pixel 4a 5G because, you know, that's what you want. So they just announced all three phones at once. Just bam. But you you reviewed the 4a. We have not seen photos of the 5. We have seen various and confusing leaks all summer. And Chris, you might actually have a better handle around this so far. But a bunch of the early leaks were like, this must be the Pixel 5a. And it's like, well, no, there's actually the... That's probably the Pixel 4a 5G now. And then there's more, yet more internal documents of even more pixels and a foldable pixel like later on down the line. Like it's a fiasco in Pixel rumor land. Uh, yeah, it's super confusing. I mean, uh, they had that leak, I think it was last month, where there was a phone that looked just like the 4a, but they said it was the 5 and people weren't sure. But then it seems like they might get rid of their Face ID clone, which I really actually liked on the Pixel 4, like to just walk away from that for the the uh, thumb reader, but I mean, yeah. yeah, no one's really quite sure what it's going to look like. Even the 4A 5G might have new specs or a bigger screen or who knows what this, who knows what the story is. I mean, it's a pixel, yeah. so there's, there's just always confusion about what's going to happen. Is it going to look like a brightly colored plastic rectangle? That's just my guess. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the 4A is a decidedly not brightly colored plastic rectangle. <laughs> All right, yeah, Dieter, tell us about the 4A. You reviewed it. So uh, the the big, big new innovation in the Pixel 4a is they dropped 50 bucks off the price. So it's down to $350, which is pretty big. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, it's 100 bucks less than the storage equivalent iPhone SE to get one, an iPhone SE with 128 gigs. Um, and they just like got everything as good as you could probably get it on a $350 phone. Like, I wish it had a faster processor, but we live in a world of Android where Qualcomm, if you want to get a good Qualcomm processor, you got to spend way too much money. So they got like an okay one uh, that's got a pretty solid screen. It's OLED. It's got a hole punch. Uh, it's got the Pixel camera. Uh, Becca actually pointed this out to me uh, when we were talking to them. She asked if it had, what was the sensor, Becca? 363. Yeah, yeah. Same sensor as the Pixel 4 and the Pixel 3a and the Pixel 3. They've been using literally like the ent- exact same camera stack for like two years now. So it's great. It makes takes great photos, but they haven't pushed it much. I would love it if you could select your software tuning on the Pixel. Ooh. Right? Ooh. If you could buy a Pixel 4 and be like, just make this shit look like the Pixel 2, that would make me very happy. Because I thought the Pixel 2 looked... It was the most contrasty and the most dramatic, and they have veered towards looking more like the iPhone over time. Mm-hmm. But I wish I could just be like, go back to that look. I love that look the best. Because if they're using the same hardware, they should give you the choices in the software, right? But yeah. every, everyone is just looking at me like I'm dumb. I mean, it's like it's like saying you should just get your choice of, I don't know, clutch on your Mustang. Like It, it, it gets tied you to the hardware. The, the thing, well, okay, that's true. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I meant like not just like manual versus automatic. Just like go and put your '97 clutch in a 2015. I mean, you don't want to do that, but you can definitely retune an engine. Anyway, yeah, I, keep going. Pixel 4a. We're not going to talk about Mustangs. On the fingerprint show. sensor on the back. It works great. It's got a headphone jack because uh, you know apparently low end phones are the only phones that get headphone jacks anymore. I'm into it. Becca, are you holding one right now? You're holding one. Yeah, I- I'm holding one right now. And what I'll have to say about this is that. I love this thing. Like it gave me everything I like about phones in 2020, like a a big screen and it's slim and the battery's decent, but it kept the things that I also love about previous phones. 
that I love a fingerprint sensor, like a, a one on the back. And I love a headphone jack. And I love the Pixel camera. And it's $350, which is a pretty good price in 2020 for a brand new phone. Yeah. There's this, there's this meme out there. I think like it's a Gruber meme. But like there's this idea out there that it, like Google is bored with Android and the Pixel is a reflection of its boredom. Does this phone feel like they're bored with it? No. I'm bored with Android. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, Becca, hot the, debut on the Vergecast. <laughs> the, the one new feature is an accessibility feature for software where it'll, uh, it'll do real-time captioning of phone calls, uh, but it doesn't record them and it doesn't put them on the internet. So don't have your conspiracy theories thrown at me. Breitbart, they wrote it up terribly. Anyway, uh, so that's like the one thing, um, but that's coming to other pixels. It's just like, Google is so committed to keeping the Pixel software like really clean and basic relative to the madness that happens on every other Android phone that it can feel a little bit boring. And their decision to be really like understated with their design, I think it's like they've gone, they've maybe gone a little bit too far. It's been like, no, no, this is, this is the, uh, the Android phone that isn't flashy. It's just like a phone. And after a while, like that message gets through that like, oh no, you just made a phone. Okay. Like they want it to be utilitarian to the point where it's like become a little bit boring. I feel like Google has been has been so long burned by Sergey Brin coming to the Google Glass event on a hang glider. That's like a that's a real <laughs> thing that happened. Like they launched Google Glass and like one of the co-founders landed on stage on a hang glider and was like, Glass is the future. And that was their last big attempt to be splashy. And it completely backfired, like in every possible yeah. way. I don't even think he was wearing shoes. Like it was just <laughs> he like probably a had rollerblades on, right? <laughs> yes, it was bad. But they do not Google as a company is not flashy. And I think to compete with Apple, you have to have some amount of flashiness yeah. in your ethos. And they won't make a flashy phone. They won't do a Samsung style flashy. And we'll talk about whether or not Unpacked was successful as a virtual flashy event. But their emphasis right now is on cheap phones, which it might be where a lot of volume is. But it's not where a lot of like mind share is, and so like Becca, I agree with you. Like I'm just like in my house. The only thing I really use my phone for is scrolling through Twitter on the couch and then taking photos. I probably do not need to spend more than three hundred fifty dollars on a Pixel Four A for that. But it's also like I'm not spending money on anything else. (laughs) Just like in this house all the time. Like what if I wanted to buy an nicer phone and Google just does not have an option for me. And I think that's like a weird place for them to be all of the time to not have the range of things. Do you think the Pixel 5 is going to be like flashier? No. Becca's emphatically shaking her head. No. I don't don't know. Has a Pixel ever really blown anyone's mind here? I mean. Well, I I disagree. The Pixel 2's camera. Yeah. Okay. Camera. True. True. Yeah. But the Pixel 2 camera and I, I, you know, it's the Pixel 4a is kind of interesting. Google's blaming pandemic related supply chain issues but the fact that it's only available in one size and it's only available in one color is like a first for the pixel line you know the pixel the original pixel one Mm. came in that just blue color was this like Mm -hmm. best buy blue that was flashy you know and then you had like you had the pixel two had this panda color scheme that was pretty cool you couldn't get that anywhere else no one could ever buy the cool ones yeah yeah but like they existed though in theory Oh no, you know when you could buy them? You could buy them when they were on Woot in like 18 months as refurbished models for half the price. That's when you could buy them. I would just say the fact that you could no one could ever buy the one that everybody wanted is like the worst part of this whole story. I mean, but the reality is no one bought any of them 
anyways, right? Like that is the story of pixels in like right because you'd go to be like, I want to buy the cool panda one, and you couldn't. You're like, well, screw it. I'm yeah, on. and like we're all saying that the Pixel 4a is a great phone for you know the price is excellent, it does everything you need it to do. The reality is, how many people are going to buy it? It's not going to be pushed by any carriers. It's going to have the same issues unless it has a huge marketing thing from Google, which has never happened before. So like. No, there's something I love about it's not flashiness, though. Like, this is the first phone that I've held, and maybe it's because it's a little bit cheaper, where I'm not, like, afraid to use it. Like, when I get a, a new note or something, I'm like, this is, like, precious cargo. This is, like, something really great. And I kind of, like, treat it a little differently. But with this, I'm, I'm, I feel like I can go out and take a lot of photos with it and kind of, like, you know, hold it over the edge of the ferry and take a photo. And I don't know. Maybe that's because of its price, but... <laughs> risky living on the edge <laughs> so we should talk about the price and the marketing for a second i am sure that they originally planned on selling this for 399 and then the iphone se came out with the a13 whatever bionic the fastest processor that's ever been put in a phone got put in the iphone se at 399 yeah for 399 and then it was like whoa and then the pandemic and then, like, just flagging pixel sales. And then, last but not least, and perhaps most importantly in this whole story, uh, the Pixel 4a is not 5G. And I don't care. I don't think that you should care. Because what are the, like, if you're stuck at home, if you're lucky enough to be able to stay home, you've probably got Wi-Fi. If you're going out in the world, 5G isn't that much faster uh, for most regions. And so having to pay the extra money for 5G uh, is not necessarily worth it. If you get a, if the phone you want happens to have it, great. If it doesn't, I wouldn't sweat it this year. But, you know, who is sweating 5G is all the U.S. carriers. And so if your phone doesn't have 5G, then the U.S. carriers don't care. And so there is going to be no co-marketing for the Pixel 4a. Google basically told me that. And so one of the reasons I think that they had to pre-announce the Pixel 4a 5G and the uh, Pixel 5 is because they just know if they hadn't, they'd put the 4a out and it would have just disappeared because no carriers are going to be advertising it at all. Only Google is. And how much, you know, how much is Google going to spend on it? Who knows? And so it would have just looked like a flop, even if it was selling relatively well. It would it would just disappear from the conversation, uh, you know, two weeks after it was released. So they had to drop the price down to make it sell better, and they had to say these other phones are coming, and so don't freak out when like Verizon isn't telling you to buy it in two weeks. Plus, like you know, the note was coming out like later that week, and so like what else are you gonna do? Yeah, I feel like the um, you know I'm very skeptical of the T-Mobile Sprint merger, but one of the things that would happen if it works and goes through and that network expands the size that T-Bone wants it to. It's like, I think Google can just start doing its own advertising for Fi because it runs on that. It'll run on that combined big network and it, it might have the coverage, although we'll see. But if Google can just start running its own ads that are like, buy this phone online, we run our own network. It doesn't have this overhead. You can pause it. Like my Fi service right now is paused. For, I just pushed one button and paused for three months. Cause I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Like we have all these other features. We're Google and we, they can sell like a more integrated service phone package. That would be wild if that's like a result of the T-Mobile Sprint merger. Cause I think that is something they can actually market as a differentiator versus go to your, Dan is looking at me. so skeptically. <laughs> this might be the most optimistic read I've ever heard on the T-Mobile and Sprint merger. I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, like, like I think we all agree that Google 
is not bored with Android? Is it bored with Phi? That might be a real thing. And like, is Phi going to hit the Google graveyard? I would not be terribly surprised if that happened at some point. I'm trying to have an optimistic viewpoint on on, on everything. <laughs> on that note, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're talk about the note because it actually came out. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. All right, we're back. Becca. What's up, Neelai? You have seen, as far as I know, you're the, you're the only person I know on this call who has held a Note 20 and a Note 20 Ultra. Someone is holding one currently. Yeah, we, they, they did send me the review unit, but I've, I've, I've turned it on and installed stuff and then not touched it because it's installing stuff. So Becca is, in fact, the only person on this call who's like done more than like unbox it. You had like a weird setup to get an in-person look at the phones, right? Yeah, very strange. Uh, I walked up to a door in like Lower Chelsea in Manhattan, and this woman greeted me with a thermometer um, and some hand sanitizer. I stood there, my temperature checked out, I was okay. Um, And then I got brought up into a freight elevator into a big empty room where we are all very uh, separated, well well beyond six feet, all wearing masks. And uh, I sat at a very pink desk and I just told I had an hour to check it out, take as many photos and videos as I could, and then scram. <laughs> what did you think? It's a note. We can say that. It's got a stylus. It has good specs. It feels heavy. It feels good in your hand. Um, I need two hands to do absolutely anything on it, but that's pretty standard for me. And, and I'm not a big phone person. I mean, you heard me talking about how much I love the size of the 4A. So for someone who is, I think that this is, uh, there's no surprises. It's, it's a note, but it's, it's good. Yeah. I, I think for me, the biggest thing is that the stylus feels so nice to write on this note with. Like it really felt like I was writing notes and Dieter and I were trying to talk about like what that was and he has it in front of him. Maybe he can write some more and we can try to figure this out. Cause I didn't have time in my time there, but it's not just any stylus. It, it really belongs with this phone and it has, you know, gyroscope in it it's it's still got you know you can click it to take photos and zoom in on the camera and all of that but it's good but it is just an update 
So there's two of them, right? Yeah. It has not been received well. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like a huge miss. Like a $1,000 plastic phone. But you've held it. What is, is a plastic feel horrible? Or does it feel like plastic? Yeah, it feels fine. It's very slippery. It's matte instead of like this crazy mirrored glass. It's uh, Mystic Bronze, I believe it's called. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, the Mystic Bronze. Yeah, yeah. For me, I, I was as I was looking at these two phones, they look like they almost don't belong in the same line together. Like the Note 20 versus the Note 20 Ultra. So you have the Note 20, and it's got a rounded screen and a flat screen at that. Um, its edges on on the rails are actually a little bit more rounded than on the Note Ultra. Um, they just don't feel like the same phone at all. It doesn't feel like a mini version and a big version. It feels like the Note 20 and then the Ultra, the Plus. Dieter, which one do you have? Uh, they have sent uh, the Ultra out as review units, I think specifically because they want people to know that the, they want the best one in, in people's hands. Uh, we'll review the regular Note 20 when uh, we are able to get it, of course. The, the thing Becca mentioned about the screen, yeah, th Samsung said that there was some kind of different finish on it to make it feel a little bit more paper-like. I never really believe that when people say things like that, but there does seem to be a little bit better friction. I'll be very, very curious to see if that friction still exists in six months or if it's just like some coding or something. And then the other thing about this Note, and uh, Becca, you said this and like you said it in the video and I wrote it in the hands-on based on your impressions um, in the article, but the camera bump on this thing is serious as hell. <laughs> uh, it is 90 degrees squared off Mesa. It's huge. It is huge. I had, I had this whole tangent in the video that I ended up cutting out where I just talk about how big this thing is. Like if you put it flat on a table, it will, it will wobble. It's massive. And that that has, what, three cameras, a depth sensor, the, the usual stack that we're, we're, we've been seeing? No. No. It, well, it's not a depth sensor. It's not a depth camera. It's a laser autofocus. Okay. And that's important because it has the same um, 108 megapixel sensor that the S20 Ultra had that had slow focus because they weren't using you know, the proper phase attack, whatever. Uh, and so I'm going to get that wrong. I definitely got that wrong. But they were using the slower focus. And so it meant that like the, they had to put a bunch of firmware updates and it was a whole fiasco with the original review because they didn't have the new software update. So that's all quote unquote fixed, but it's still slower to focus. So they put a laser in the note because a laser is way faster. Lasers are quite speedy, I've been told. Yeah. But that made it a Mesa. Does it get hot? Well, I just like the, well, I guess we, we no one's used it long enough. Yeah. I've just always sort of been told that the, the the reason you make that whole stack bigger in that shape is for heat dissipation, hmm. right? And like notes mm. are big, they have big batteries, fast processor, huge screens. You add in another thing that gets hot. That's like, it feels like a phone that gets hot. But we'll, I guess we'll find out. That's why you review. We will phone. find out. Yeah. Time will tell. It's a big bump, but like you got to figure like that phone starts at $1,300, right? It's like the number yeah. of people who like buy it and like carry it around just by itself without a case has got to be pretty small so <laughs> yeah I, that, that was my thought with it too is once you put a case on this it's gonna hide that that bump a little bit but i wouldn't be surprised if you put a slim case on there if that bump still sticks out like, I don't know. uh becca do you get to take any sample shots of this camera okay so not not really at all and i, I obviously couldn't take any anything with me when i left um i tried to zoom in with that like 50x zoom on the Note 20 Ultra. Um, and I was too close to absolutely anything for it to even focus on it. 
Um, but I'm very excited to get out into the world because I have been using my telephoto lens on my S10 a lot more recently. So we'll see if that holds up. Social distancing has finally kicked in. You're like, I'll just stand back a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, this is always the question with the S20, right? The camera wasn't as good as we thought it was going to be, even though Samsung had thrown all this hardware in it. This camera feels a lot like the same thing. Do you think they've improved the software? Like, I guess we're just going to have to see. We're going to have to see. I personally have never really liked the like the colors that Samsung leans into. Um, I always felt like it was like way too punchy. Like they were trying really hard to add a lot of contrast and um, bring the saturation way up. Uh, so we'll have to see. I definitely want to put that all to the test. I'm telling you, the entire game here is software modes that just look like old famous phones. <laughs> Yes. If you can put like the Instax filter on Instagram and be like, now it looks like that. Eli, this yeah. is a business model. This is an app. <laughs> this is a business model for an app. Just like you have, you know, Fujifilm simulations and Kodak simulations. And you got all these filters for these various films. But you want one to emulate the Pixel smartphones 2. from three years ago. <laughs> it's going to be great. We actually, Mark Lavoy left Google, the guy who made the Pixel camera. And now he's at Adobe. He's building you the app right now. He's doing it. I, I got to do it first, but crappy. And then Adobe can buy my company. <laughs> this is the way. Why doesn't my brain work like this? Uh, okay. So that's an, anything else we need to pick up on the note. I got to say, it feels like the note landed with just a thud. Like as Chris was saying, the thousand dollar plastic note with a 60 hertz screen. No, the 60 hertz screen is what kills me. Like that's terrible. That product just feels like a carrier concession. Like carriers wanted something at $1,000 or less with 5G and all that stuff. Like if you look at last year's Note 10 lineup, you had the Note 10 and the Note 10 Plus. They were basically equally premium, right? And the Note 10, I think, was 950 bucks, and the Note 10 Plus was like 1150 or something like that. But they both had like full glass bodies. They had the same spec screens, except resolution was a little different that you couldn't tell. Same cameras, stuff like that. This year... There's like a way bigger, as like Becca alluded to, a way bigger difference, way bigger golf. You got different design, different screens, different build quality, like different cameras even. Yes. I don't think we really talked about that, but this camera on the Note 10 is not the same as the Note 20 Ultra, or excuse me, on the Note 20 is not the same as the Note 20 Ultra. It just really feels like Verizon and T-Mobile were like, we want a Note that's under the $1,000 mark that has 5G, make it happen. And Samsung was like, okay, and like did it. And like, but Samsung wants you to look at the Note 20 Ultra, which is why we have a Note 20 Ultra review unit and so on and so forth. Yeah, these are two different phones. This is why Samsung gets the carrier co-marketing deals, right? Yeah, exactly. The carriers are like, here are some hoops. And Samsung is like, we have jumped through them. How, there, how high can are we there jump? more hoops? We'd love to see more hoops, please. <laughs> Just market Bixby in your weird TV ads. But it's also like, do we do we need any more evidence that carriers don't really know what they're doing, right? Like, they demanded yeah. a phone that no one wants. The carriers have very different incentives than a phone maker or than you or I. Like, their like Verizon's incentive is to sell its five G network and get more people on its five G network. The fastest way you can do that is by offering more five G phones at more price points, whether they're the four. Pixel 4a, 5G, XL, whatever it's going to be called for $500, or the Note 20 for $1,000, or the OnePlus 8 for $800, whatever it is. Like, they can get 5G across the line, they can make their 5G network look better and get more people on it, yada yada. It's like a completely different goal for them than Samsung or Apple or Google or whatever. Yeah, I just think it's impossible to talk about. I mean, I don't think we should, I could rant about 
the three major carriers and it's it's as everyone has heard me do for a full hour it's impossible to understand samsung without understanding that relationship but at the same time like samsung is a big company and they're launching these phones globally and you can't just give them the out i'm gonna say we wrote about this book a few months ago there's a book called samsung rising that talks all about samsung's like efforts into becoming the company that is now. And there's a huge section about its early work with carriers and what it was willing to do. And it's super enlightening. Uh, There's an article on the site written by Sam Byford who interviewed the author, but I also suggest go read the book. Yeah. All right. More things happened at Unpacked. One of the more confusing virtual events that we've attended. (laughs) There's a new Z Fold 2. Dan, I'm going to for whatever reason, I've chosen you as the person I will ask about the folding phone. It's your punishment for making us talk about characters. <laughs> nah, I deserve it. <laughs> Roast me. Uh, but this one actually feels like, you know, it, Samsung's doing the Samsung thing. They put out the Z Fold. It was a, a legendary mess. So actually, it was the Galaxy Fold. Yeah. Get your names right. It's a Galaxy Fold. Then it was the Z Flip. I got it. Yep. And now it's the Z then Fold the Z, 2. No, 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 no. Then the Z Flip 5G. Yeah, yeah. Which got announced early. And now it's... It's the Galaxy Z Fold 5, Z Fold 2 5G. 5G, yeah. So, but what is it the sequel to? Hold up, hold up. What is it the sequel to? Technically the Galaxy Fold. Got it. So I was You're right. right. It's what I'm taking here's, away from here's, here's Samsung. There is the A line, which is their low-end phones. There's the S line, which is their mainstream phones. There is the N line, which are the Note phones. And there is the Z line, which are their folding phones. There once was a J line, I believe, but I don't know if that's around anymore. Uh, just like imagine their subways and, and some of them are nice and some of them take you to bad neighborhoods. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Some of them are broken yeah. half the time. I'm letting all of this go. Okay. We're putting all of this behind us. There is a sequel to the Galaxy Fold. All I was saying was Samsung did the Samsung thing. They put out the first generation product, which had many, many flaws. One of the flaws was uh, it immediately broke. <laughs> then they recalled that phone. They re-released it. It broke less frequently. And now they've. it seems like they fixed same basic design, but there's a bigger screen on the front cover, so it looks more like a normal phone. It seems like they've re-engineered the cover yeah i mean i feel like with the second revision of the first one they were addressing the durability concerns which were obviously the major problem right it's why you couldn't buy the phone initially so like they kind of feel like they got those in a decent place and so now with the z fold to 5g they <laughs> so are elegant. addressing the 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 feature complaints and so like one of the feature complaints of the first one was that the outside screen was like tiny and it wasn't really usable so they made that basically as big as a screen on like an S20 now. So it's like a full size outside screen. So you could realistically use that as your phone. They made, they got rid of like the giant camera array when you open it up now. So it's just the little hole punch dot that we're seeing on all the modern phones. And they upgraded the other cameras so that they are or, or commensurate with the S20 line. So they're not like a generation behind. So all of those things that were like feature level complaints, not the like fundamental, this thing will break in my hands complaints, but like it seems like they're addressing that with the the new model. <laughs> um, is it gonna break? I like I don't know. I feel like there's there's plenty of anecdotal evidence now of people who have bought the original Galaxy Fold and have used it for months on end and not had the issues that we initially saw last year. So maybe it's 
slightly more durable in everyday use as long as you don't get it wet and don't poke it and <laughs> don't, don't feed put it after dust in your pocket and <laughs> don't yeah becca did you get to see this at the hands-on no i didn't get to see this and i am very eager to hold it in my hand because i just don't believe that the bezels on the front are going to be like that small i don't think they're going to be as small as the s line i just like samsung's obviously committed to this style of folding phone like it right they're iterating on it they're going to make another one and another one i think the real question is the first time around they they didn't get it right right in like very clear ways mm -hmm. Is this now the prototype from which, like, they got it right and they're going to make it better and better and cheaper and thinner? Or do they still have, like, fundamental re-engineering to do? It took them, like, five generations to get the Note into, like, a really great place. Yeah. It might be a while. Maybe they move a little faster now. Maybe they've learned a few things and they're able to do it in three or four generations. I think this one is still going to be really expensive. Like, all the all the signs are pointing to it being close to 2000 bucks again. Uh, it's going to be really limited in terms of, like, how many you'll be able to buy, where you'll see it. Though they are said that it will be on all three carriers as opposed to just AT&T, like the mm -hmm. first one. So it still feels very in the experiment stage to me. It's just in a next step of that experiment stage. Yeah, I will say that um, everyone being at home is like the best possible situation for this phone to come out. Like you can't you can't get in too much trouble with it. Hopefully. Yeah, sure. But like at home is like the last place that I need a folding phone because I've got bigger screens all around me. Or is it the first place you need a folding phone? I'm not sure what the rest of that argument is, but that's how, I, that's how I'm choosing to engage. So actually one thing. Uh, at the end, there was a scripted interview with TM Rowe, uh, and he they, they're like, "What? Why not a stylus?" And he's like, "You know, stay tuned." Which they're like, "They're going to make another one with a stylus that's coming next year." So this is my my constant like we criticize Samsung a lot. Dan is literally wearing a Bixby T-shirt. <laughs> I mean, like we criticize Samsung a lot. The thing that you can always compliment Samsung on is they are willing to have their boldest ideas in public and fail in public and just keep going yep. just step by step by step by step relentlessly until they're like, see, we told you so. And you're like, well, the first the first note didn't even fit in a regular human being's hand. Yeah. And they're like, see, everyone likes a big screen now. And you're like, that was a refrigerator. <laughs> but like they just keep going. And like I, I I'm always eager to see like it's rare that we see a Samsung failure not result in them learning something mm -hmm. in the way that Apple like will never even tell you that their mistakes happened like Apple never admits that they tried something and it didn't work and they made a change because of it can you apply that insight to the unpacked live stream itself Neli <laughs> no I cannot <laughs> Samsung needs to stop having these events I'm just me straight up about it I was thoroughly entertained though I must admit I was I was doing the supercut and I was like this is incredible, but not, I don't, I don't think it was the response of the incredible that they wanted. No, you, cause you're doing the super, like that frame of mind of, I hope something interesting happens so I can put it in a super cut. Like, yeah. I hope there's a, I hope there's like a car crash that I can like stick in the super cut. I, I must admit when I'm, when I'm editing a super cut, I'm always looking for the moments that make me giggle so that I can like pull them out and put it in the end card. And this end card was getting long. It, it <laughs> we, we, we call those the, the Michael Bay moments of supercuts. Yes. I keep making fun of mystic bronze. And at one point Samsung was like, this color is gender fluid. Yeah. Which is like, did you just look up a vocabulary word and not, and not understand what it means? Like mm -hmm. that's not what that means at all. 
And also, like, all you're trying to say is both men and women will like this color. And the best way to say that is to just not say it. To still like, say it. To 0% say it. Samsung does get credit, though. That is that is the most diverse group of presenters I've seen in a tech keynote that I can, in, in, in memory, like maybe ever. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, they've been trying, like, we dinged them ages ago. Remember when they had the, the Broadway show? Who could ever forget? Radio City. Neela, you and I were sitting there in the audience just <laughs> trapped in that horror show. <laughs> yeah, we were like, what is happening? So they've gotten steadily better since then. I'll, we'll give them that credit. But they're still... These unpacked events, they don't tell a story. They're totally disjointed. And most importantly, everything leaks. Like everything from this thing leaked down to the, the, the videos they showed during the event, right? And then they released their own PR before the event even started. So like not only had it all leaked, they had officially told everybody what was going on. And then they, this thing was basically a sequence of promo videos because that's what virtual events are. And it just, they, I think they have lost the plot of events. Yeah. Like, they don't know why they're doing them, but they know they should. And there's, like, a predatory cabal of ad agencies who are ready to affirm <laughs> that instinct and be like, we'd like some of your money. And you can just see that dynamic happening. Like, spam calls have gotten really bad lately. And maybe, like, Samsung is just, like, the company that answers them and, like, provides their information. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh man, it's like every time I watch one of these videos, I'm like, some ad agency got super rich today. <laughs> what, what did you think of the the giant AR larger than life products? That was probably my favorite part, to be honest. I mean, they had to do something, right? If you're not, right, you can't give people the big screens or the Oculus thing that they usually do. Why not make it seem like your your headphones are dwarfing a human being? <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't know. All right, speaking it. of headphones, we got to move on. We, we've spent too long on, on critiquing their show. Welch, the first line of your review of the Samsung uh, Galaxy Buds Live is they should have called them the Galaxy Beans. They should have. I mean, how many chances do you get in tech to just own the fun name of the thing? We always complain about how the, these headphones have weird, bizarre names. No one remembers. And there was some meeting at some point where someone said, hey, guys, I think it'd be fun to call these things the Galaxy Beans because... That's what they look like. And then someone else came along and said, Galaxy Buds Live, you see, because the open design makes you feel like you're at a concert. <laughs> and someone else said, that's the one. Not the beans. Ugh. Galaxy Buds Live. That's the predatory cabal of ad agencies. <laughs> I'll never understand that choice. I think they would have sold better if they were just called the beans and how they lean into it. I mean, literally the product page on launch day, they left one a beans reference in on Samsung.com. Wait, it was they were actually going to be called the Galaxy Beans? I didn't even see that. Wow. And they changed it? Yes. If you went to the Galaxy Buds Live page on Samsung.com right when the keynote ended and you typed Command F and typed the word Beans, you found a reference to Beans. Mm. They called them the Beans. Dieter, I have a question for you. Yeah. So you're confirming that directly after the keynote ended... You went to the Samsung Galaxy Buds live page, hit Command F, and typed in Beans. I have been I have been so hard on the Call Them Beans bandwagon, <laughs> the Bean bandwagon, the Chuck wagon, that oh everybody God. on Twitter knows that I'm Team Bean. And so someone yes. who went to that page tweeted it at me, and that is why I went to confirm. It is too late now. Uh, they're the Galaxy Buds live indeed, but it turns out they're actually pretty good. Uh, they sound good. They fit in your ears better than I expected. I mean, I'm someone whose ears don't like AirPods at all. Like hard kind of earbuds don't fit me super well, but these just kind of slide right in, sit in the contra of your ear, I believe. That's the... Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yes. This phase in tech is making us learn way too much vocabulary. 
<laughs> so, uh, but they sit pretty well. They sound great. Uh, the bass is, is tight. They don't sound better or worse than the Galaxy Buds Plus, I would say, because these are open, so they sound different, and they let in much more outside noise. Uh, the noise cancellation, uh, like I say in the review, is barely a factor at all. Like, it'll cut off the slight, the smallest slice of, like, really low-pitched things like hums or, like, your air conditioner or uh, your refrigerator. But, like, voices and, like, outside noise all just comes through like nothing. So don't buy them for that reason. Uh, but if you want the style, if the look appeals to you, they sound good. Uh, the battery life is really good. Chris, tell me about um, this lead image, uh, which is the headphones in beans. Uh, <laughs> just walk me through the whole thing. So the, uh, ideation, uh, refinement, execution, everything. Well, I figured if they weren't going to do the name justice, I would I would take it upon myself. And so I stopped at uh, my corner deli at like uh, 10 o'clock on, uh, on Tuesday night and <laughs> bought a bag of beans and came back home and tossed them in a plastic container and put my flash on my camera and made the lead image you see in the review. I got to say, it does not look like deli beans in a plastic container wow. under a flash. <laughs> they look like much classier than bodega beans, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's weird. Do you think they changed the name to live because the noise cancellation isn't any good? Well, that's a, was was the intent, the design intent from the start to make it this sort of half weird noise cancellation that feels open? Or did they want it to be open because they know that uh, AirPods Pro are vented and they want it to be vented and then they couldn't figure out how to do, do noise cancellation on top of it? Like, that's the question, right? I think the whole time they wanted to call it open type NC is what they call it. Okay. So it has its own name. So I think that's what they were going for. But I wish they were a bit more effective at just cutting out, like, even a bit more of, like, trains or, like, airplanes. Like, these will not work on a plane. I mean, just forget about it. So for that, you're, you're going to want the other headphones that we're going to talk about in a minute. But all in all, I think they're pretty good earbuds. Has the has like the pairing multiple device support like right now with my AirPods I, I switch between my phone my iPad and my laptop more than ever I think there's like other people in this house right so I need the headphones more at home than I did before and like I have just realized like okay I'm like locked into Apple W1 world I hate it but it it works really well so I'll deal you know like it's real. That part is really good. How is that kind of like pairing dynamic with these? I mean, I used them with a Samsung phone, and so obviously it's going to be uh, pretty ideal there. You just open the case, and it is very, very close to the AirPods experience, where it just kind of comes up and says, "These will be paired to your account, and then you're good to go." But I haven't. I mean, I did have uh, some issues with uh, dropouts and that sort of thing here and there. But by and large, I mean uh, they're pretty on par with the Galaxy Buds Plus. If you want more noise isolation, I would go for the Buds Plus uh, since they have the, uh, those silicone ear tips. And now, Chris, these don't have true multi-point support, right? Like I can't have them on my tablet and my phone at the same time? Uh, nope, just one device at a time. I think uh, still right now, the only Buds at least that have that are uh, the Jobbers. So they kind of stand alone as the as the ones that I'll do two devices at once. Well, there's we, we have to talk about the the tablet, Samsung's the S7, but you said you just mentioned the other headphones you reviewed this week, the Sony WH-1000XM4s. WH-1000XM4s, yep. That's, that's what we're saying with the names. Do they change the X and the M around? No, the, the MX are the, the bud style, I think, right? And the XM are the over ear. But they were the MH4, MH3s. Oh, my God. Uh, so the buds are the WF-1000XM3s, uh, and the headphones are the WH. This is the worst radio ever made. <laughs> they should call them Little Beans and Big Beans. Every now and again, I'm like, man, we we should have a show on like Sirius XM, and I'm like, what will I send them? And it's us just doing Sony model numbers. 
But there, it's the fourth edition of like the famous Sony. Fourth edition, yeah. These are finally here. It took two years for some reason. I mean, uh, Sony kind of fired off the first three. Like I think there was one every year for a while, and then it kind of took two years to kind of catch their breath and uh, see what Bose did. And Bose came out with the noise canceling headphones 700, which are great. And so now Sony is back with the 1000X M4s. They look the same. Uh, they sound exactly the same. Uh, but now they'll put. Now they can pair with uh, two devices at once, and uh, the microphones are no longer garbage. So if you're on Zoom calls or, or talking on the phone, they'll actually do do pretty well now. It took two years to add multi-point support <laughs> and slightly not garbage microphones. Uh, they also added the the sensor inside the ear cup so it can detect when it comes off your head to pause music, right? Yes, you've taken. Does that yep. work? It does. <sighs> Crap! I'm buying these. I mean, so I have the uh, I have the twos. I'm still not entirely clear what this final number is. I'm like, I'm literally looking at your review, and that collection of numbers and letters is breaking my brain. I have the twos. I love the twos. I could not justify upgrading to the threes for a pretty good jump in noise cancellation in the USB 3. I was like, this is fine. I'm like, either on a plane I'm asleep or listening to something, and the noise cancellation was fine. Is there a reason to jump from the twos to the fours? I mean, I guess if you want the multi-point, if you want to, like, I mean, like you were saying, you're always home now, like, and on your phone and your laptop at the same time often, so so it does come in handy for sure. But right now, they're kind of buggy, uh, uh, Sony's uh, support for multiple devices, but they said a firmware... Buggy Sony software! <laughs> but a firmware update will will uh, come out by the time these ship to uh, customers, they claim, and then that'll shore up all that, so it'll work. I gotta say, multi-point is, like, a habit or like a deal breaker for me. Like I've, I've never bought any of the other generations because they don't support multi-point and I'm constantly switching between my like phone and my tablet or my, my computer or whatever. And so like I, I got the surface headphones too specifically because they do great multi-point and like average everything else. I did not like the way the surface headphones too sounded. It's just, they just never agreed with me, but multiple devices, uh, Chris, I scrolled to the end of your review to look at agree to continue mm -hmm. because Sony's, Sony's headphones connect privacy policy has always been terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they've walked it back a little bit. Like at one point, if you use headphones connect, Sony's like, we'll just send every song you're listening to, to mm -hmm. our server so we can uh, track your listening of music. And it was like, why? Uh, that now falls under uh, the opt-in part that I mentioned at the end there. So you can like opt in to like uh, what you do with the app and how you use it and uh, software updates and, and things like that. But it's, it's the usual privacy policy in terms of service that, no one reads, and hopefully Sony's not doing something too nefarious. But to me, it's the one extreme downside of Sony headphones. Is I every time I look at that app and every time I look at that privacy policy, I'm like, I don't, I don't love this. All right, let's talk about the. Ta I mean, it's an Android tablet. Dan, I'm going to give you like three minutes to talk about it. I feel like that's enough. Sure. Yeah. But it, like, people are kind of excited about it. Literally, only thing you need to know about this Tab S7 Plus is that it has a 120 hertz OLED screen that looks incredible. Like it is, I wrote this in my piece today, perhaps the nicest mobile screen I've ever held in my hands. It feels like I took an OLED TV off the wall and like hulked it down to 12 inches and I'm staring at it. Like it is, it is gorgeous. And the 120 Hertz is like awesome for like interactions. It's super fluid. It's fast and responsive. Like it's all great. The sound on the four speakers sound great. Like it does everything right in terms of like a content consumption tablet. When it starts to like fall apart is when you try to use it as a productivity tablet. So like when you use the keyboard and you're using Samsung's DeX software, which uh, is their desktop emulation type of software in environment or whatever, 
It's kind of buggy, doesn't work great. It's running Android, so a lot of the Android apps kind of look terrible on this big 12.4-inch screen, unless you're watching full-screen video, which doesn't matter. So it's it's like really great. It's like the typical Samsung story from five or six years ago. Really killer hardware, awesome specs, really well-made, and then software. It's Android tablet software. I feel like the interest in this is definitely related to people being at home. I think people are buying tablets for their kids. Kids are, we have no idea what's going on with schools. Kids are going to have to like do e-learning. Like, is there a cheaper kind of computer that I can put in front of my kids or use for? I wouldn't call this like an ideal kids tablet. I mean, the thing is 850 bucks. The keyboard case is 230 bucks. You're at well over a grand when you pack them together. This is a premium level. This is going head to head with the iPad Pro and like the 12.9 inch iPad Pro at that. So like the top of the tier stuff. Uh, and it has a price that's commensurate to it. If you're looking for like a tablet that you just want to kick around and watch some some video on and kill time with at home, you know, a Fire HD 10 will do that for you. A, an entry level iPad will do that for you. This is probably way more than you need. Unless you're a total screen snob and you just want to have that OLED screen, which is Damn. like, I, I get it. I don't blame you. Like this screen is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to I don't want to dive into it, but it feels like this product coming up against ARM Max. Mm. <laughs> like we're about to, we're about to see just like a category wipeout happen here, but we'll get into it when yeah. we get into uh, real real quick. How about the watch, the Galaxy Watch Three? Just super quick. I totally forgot about this watch. I've got one on my wrist. They sent me a review in it already. It is thinner and lighter than the last Galaxy Watch was two years ago. So that's not saying much. Not saying much. Uh, this is the forty five uh, millimeter model. It's still pretty big. I've also got uh, an active watch, active two. Uh, that's in the 40 millimeter model and uh, that's a smaller size. And I, I find that way more comfortable, but if you like big watches, you know, you'll like this too. Cause it's still a really big watch. Um, I haven't really spent a ton of time playing with it, but that's their like big pitch is that it is th- smaller or it's going to be thinner and lighter than before. It's also slightly more expensive. They're kind of going upscale with it since they've got the watch active two line. That's taking care of the lower price. Um, so it costs a little bit more. I think this model is like 450 bucks and it goes up from there. So uh, stay tuned. We'll have a review soon. I know that the Galaxy Watch was really popular for Samsung uh, and this one probably will be popular as well. Uh, but we'll see. I love the rotating bezel on those, but I felt like when I was holding this at the hands on first look experience, that bezel raises pretty high above the screen still. And I just wish that they would get that down. Yeah, it's like I'm of two minds with that because I totally agree. Like it, it's got this like dish to it and, it and it's kind of a little weird, especially when you're swiping it. But at the same time, if you're like out and about and you knock it against something, that bezel like stops something from smacking your screen and scratching it. So like I could totally understand why you would want to have that kind of raised lip in the sense of like a Casio G-Shock has all that chunky like rubber around it and it's super rugged. You can smack it with a hammer. Wouldn't smack this with a hammer, but like <laughs> I get why that bezel is raised. And I will say this. I've been wearing the Watch Active 2 for almost a year now, uh, and it has that virtual touch dial around. It's like a touch strip that doesn't rotate, but it moves when you move your finger on it. And then this is obviously the, the actual rotating ring. This is way better. The rotating ring is way superior. So I'm glad that they kept that around. Physical controls beating virtual controls. I'm into it. All right. We got to take a break. We got to talk about Apple a little bit. We're, we'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Dieter, you have a new iMac. Yeah. I will say this. We, uh, we were on the call where they told us about the new iMac, and then it was time for questions. And my question was, so it looks the same? And they're like, you're right. We didn't point that out because it looks exactly the same. Yep. One assumes the iMac is going to change its design when they move it to ARM. Which is happening within two years. We think. Well, no. Apple said this transition will take two years. Right. So we know, I guess. I, uh, unless that those are like really weaselly promises, like, uh, should, like that's the thing. So... All right. The, the TLDR is they kept the body exactly the same. They didn't take the time to put in Face ID or a fingerprint sensor. They upgraded the processors to 10th Gen Intel. They made SSD standard, which was the right move, but you can still get a Fusion Drive if you really want for cheap storage. And they gave you an option to spend $500 on a nano texture display. And they made the webcam 1080p instead of uh, the terrible webcams that are in every single other Mac. So I looked at your comparison photos of the webcams. Yeah. It really looks like they are just doing some iPhone stuff on that webcam. So they are. Uh, so this thing has a T2 chip, which is like the iOS chip thing that like controls like the touch bar. And it does the secure enclave and it like controls the encryption on the SSD. So it's faster. They just like they've just put a little iOS computer inside every Mac now and it controls a bunch of stuff. And so now it controls the camera. So the camera runs through the T2 chip before the Mac even sees it. And they're using that opportunity to do stuff. So they say what they're doing is exposure control, tone mapping, and face detection. But not face detection to unlock because, you know, why would anybody want that on a computer <laughs> window, every single Windows computer? Uh, no, it's to, like, <laughs> properly light your face, uh, you know, and, and not have it just give you a, a general exposure for the entire room. So it's always exposed to your face. And you can see it when you move your face around. The, you can, like, watch the room get lighter or darker depending on how light or dark your face is. Um, they insist they're not doing face smoothing. And part of me wants to, like, challenge that assertion and, like, really see if they're doing face smoothing or not. Because everyone who says they're not doing face smoothing on cameras, they, they really they really are. Uh, maybe not Apple, but a bunch of other people do some face smoothing. But I, can, I couldn't see it. But, yeah, it's, like, it's a pretty good webcam. It's, like, they're doing some iOS stuff on it. If this pandemic lasts another year and webcams across the world on every single computer don't take a massive step up, I'm going to be supremely disappointed. Yeah. But it's like, particularly for Apple, right? Like maybe on the Windows side, like the market will get this signal. Oh, mm -hmm. people are buying computers for better webcams. Yeah. Apple's like, people continue to buy Macs. Macs remain the most popular Macs ever made. And it's like, yeah. you don't 
you know, literally no data is hitting you. <laughs> like they're like the iMac is the best selling desktop Mac in our line. And it's like there's only one. <laughs> there's no- well, there's the Mac Mini. <laughs> like, I, I feel like they they made the concession. I the relighting stuff, like Apple's image processing stack is so good. Mm-hmm. They're just moving it to this computer and putting in the better camera. They have obviously have a lot of thickness in that chassis to put it in there. Yeah, but the fact that they went all the way to we're doing intelligent relighting, exposure control. I hope that portends like when the R Max come out, we're gonna do some crazy iOS stuff to these cameras. They really should. If, yeah. If they don't take that shot, like what is what is even the point? An iPad app on your Mac. Come on. What do you think it's more likely that you get a you get a really really good iPhone level camera in an R Mac, or you get a touchscreen on an R Mac? All right, everybody vote. I'm gonna go with the better camera. Okay, Dan went with camera. I'm gonna go camera too. Yeah, I'm going with the better camera. Welch. Because it's like the easy, like they don't have to change macOS at all for that. Chris? I suppose the camera, yeah. Oh, man. I'm going, it's, wait, Dieter? <sighs> look at Big Sur. Just look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going touchscreen. I bet we get a better touchscreen before they figure out the hardware limitations of squeezing a better camera in a, in a laptop. Yeah. What's, what's interesting to me, like I think you just alluded to this a minute ago, Neil, is that like, they have this image processing stack from the iPhone that they've refined for the past decade plus. And it, like they could just port that over to their existing hardware, which is terrible. And, you know, the general consensus is that the lid on your MacBook is too thin to put better hardware in there. But what if they just took the processing and put that on their hardware? Would that bring it up to a level that is above garbage? And then maybe they can figure out a way to put in better hardware if they do a redesign or something like that, where they have more space or whatever. I don't know. It just seems like an easy thing that they could do that they just haven't done. Yeah. I mean, iPhone photo tricks are based on like multiple exposure stacking, which is way harder to do in video. iPhone video tricks are done in all kinds of other ways. I don't even know if these existing 720p cameras in the MacBook can do it. Yeah. And you get, you kind of get the feeling that Apple was forced to put a 1080p sensor in the iMac because no one will sell them a, a 720p sensor anymore. <laughs> like they went to Sony and Sony was like, dude, like you gotta, you gotta stop asking for this. Like we all want to move on, but I don't know. We'll see. Like if the stuff we get from our Macs is the things we take for granted on iOS devices, the camera just has to be on that list. Yeah. Bring back the eyesight camera, you cowards. <laughs> that huge tube. Yes. <laughs> That's like a, such a sign. We're talking about how thick the lids are. That thing was like a, a six inch cylinder <laughs> with like holes in it for airflow. It was incredible. And it was like 480p, if that. It might have even been lower than that. Uh, Dieter, talk to me about nanotexture. So it uh, makes the screen matte. Uh, but not really, because Matt scatters the pixels, makes it a little bit fuzzy, and this tries not to. Uh, and it keeps glare from hitting your screen, so the, 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 there's no glare. It's very effective at that. And um, I do not know how uh, durable it is. I just don't. I don't know. And that's because there's no, like, coating or whatever. There's no coat. So it's bare glass. So if the, the way it works is they, they etch the glass at a, like, nano level. And like the literal definition of nano, like nanometer, like tiny, tiny, tiny. Like I actually was like, I'll just sort of call it microscopic because that's that, that seems small. And I'd look up like, no, no, microscopic is actually not the right term. I should go with nano because it's super tiny. But it's glass. And so like at a certain point, like 
there's physics involved and like glass can only stand up to so much, especially when it's etched in their like little tiny points. Right. So they give you a cloth to clean it and they tell you not to clean it with other stuff. And so the concern is that like it will like scratch or degrade. And this was a big concern with the pro display as well. The problem is when you buy a pro display, you're spending five, $6,000 or whatever on a thing that you're going to put in your fancy, you know, studio where you edit videos and uh, you are the kind of person that could spend $6,000 on a monitor and use it for work, you probably know not to touch it when your hands are covered in macaroni and cheese. If you're a four-year-old uh, <laughs> and there's an iMac in the living room, you see a big glowing screen and all big glowing screens are touch screens because that's the way the world should work. And so you're going to go up and you're going to slap your hand on it. Oh, man. Does a nanotexture iMac mean that there's never going to be a touchscreen Mac? Ah, oh, dude. <laughs> Don't say that because I want this on the iPad Pro very badly. Dieter, I want to go back to what you said uh, in Apple's instructions. They hand you a cloth, they give you a cloth, and not to clean it with other stuff. That other stuff includes things just like water or like window cleaner. Like you, you can't like spray anything on this this display, uh, and then you probably void your warranty and it, and it just disintegrates or whatever. But like, I love the point that you made in your in your article, and like, I didn't even think about that. Like, the iMac is like the shared family computer that Apple makes and it sits in living rooms all the time. Yeah. But like uh, when in our off our dear sweet office, Aww. remember that it was great. Like Becca was editing on an iMac, right? Like most of our video editors were editing on consumer, not even iMac pros. Mm -hmm. And like, I think there is a world in which a bunch of pros actually end up buying iMacs. Right. And so you can give them this option and maybe not your unruly children. <laughs> I mean, my, my kid would destroy this thing so fast. But, you know, other well-behaved children yeah. might not destroy it. I, but that, to me, is like the confusing part of the line. What are you saying, Becca? I, another thing, though, is that as a video editor, I have a lot of other video editors often around me, and they love to, like, touch screens. Like, like they'll point mm. to the timeline, but they'll touch my timeline. And I, like, don't... <laughs> Like I have one coworker and you know who you are, uh, who always is touching my screen and they would just ruin this. So I asked Apple about this specifically and they're like, look, we don't want to, we don't want to give you the impression that it's delicate, right? It's not going to like, it's not going to fall apart if you touch it or if you like happen to accidentally wipe it with a paper towel or something. But over the course of the life of an iMac, which you're going to keep for a very long time, like eventually like a bunch of abrasive things that weren't designed for this bare glass would damage it. Now, where the truth lies of how delicate and fragile this thing is, um, I don't know. And I don't know because the only other screens that have it are the $6,000 Pro Display XDRs. And like, how many of those are out in the world? Who has the data on whether or not those things are actually durable enough to be put on an iMac? Presumably Apple does, and they decided it, it is. But <laughs> I mean, they just must know that they have pro customers who want to buy this thing. And, they want, and the pro customers were like, we see that Pro Display XDR. Is it available on the iMac Pro? They did like a slight update to the iMac Pro. And you, nope. So you can't, you can't even get this on the iMac Pro. Interesting, isn't that? Very, very interesting. That is super weird. I, all of this has made me remember that we actually purchased an iMac Pro and a very fast Windows PC. And our video team was very excited about both of those things. And both of those things are sitting in our office being completely unused right now. Uh, surprise. Uh, I am sitting within uh, five feet of one. What? Which one do you have? Uh, I have the Mac Pro here. Oh, my God. I agreed to do every supercut. <laughs> <laughs> 
I could have this in my home. Wait, really? That was a trade? <laughs> that was the legitimate trade, yes. Incredible. This is the best. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Did you have, do you have the display too? Oh, I have the display too, and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I legitimately had to move a vacation because there was a supercut. So, and then I also had to give Alex a set of keys to my apartment so that she could come do a supercut just so I could for just miss one. Just one. <laughs> is, is that why we had a record turnaround time on the Samsung supercut this week? <laughs> no, Dan, I'm just getting that good. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is incredible breaking news on the Vergecast. I had no idea. That's incredible. Do you wait? Did our display? Does not is the glossy one, right? You don't have the nano texture. I don't think I have the, the nanotech one, no. All right, well, don't put macaroni and cheese on that one either. But what I will say, a bit aside, is that uh, the Mac Pro gets so hot that my air conditioning is running at full speed at all times. And there's a fan on the Mac Pro. I just keep <laughs> it on it because it just, under my desk, it's just hot yeah, at all times. That's incredible. I had no idea. That's such, that's hilarious. I love it. All right. Uh, we got to talk about Greg Joswiak and Phil Schiller. There's like yeah. a lot to say and also not a lot to say. So Phil Schiller is a legend in Apple world. He has been there since 1987. He used to be the product manager for power books. Like he gave interviews to Engadget uh, when we were in Engadget about the power book. He famously demoed one of the like very first Wi-Fi chips on a laptop by like jumping, uh, like off a giant, like diving board on stage and landing on a giant, like, Matt. Yeah. I mean, dude's been there forever. Depending on who you ask at what time, he gives himself credit for the, the click wheel on the iPod or the scroll wheel. Mm. If you ask other Apple executives, they will dispute this. But he was in that room and he has claimed to be in this disputed conversation about who invented the iPod. Very few people get to say someone will argue with me about whether I invented the iPod or not. And my argument is just <laughs> as good as theirs. He's that guy. So that's incredible. He obviously worked hand in hand with Steve Jobs. He has been in charge of worldwide marketing at Apple for a long time. Marketing at Apple is very different than other companies. Yeah. Can you explain that? Because like, I think, I think I, I've been saying it, but I think that people don't really understand what it means that marketing at Apple is a completely different thing. I, I, you know, the way I think about it is there's this joke that like Apple is a software company that makes hardware and like they make all their money in hardware, but like really what they are is a software company and they want to make software experiences. I think what Apple really is, is a product marketing company. And I mean that not in a bad way. I mean that in an absolutely positive way. Apple figures out what people want and what they can give them and what tools they have. And then they make that product exactly. And they don't let other people like we're, this joke about Samsung, just doing whatever the carriers want. Phil Schiller is the guy at Apple who like stops it. He's like, this is the product we're making to fit the market. Like the classic definition of marketing. We found a market of people who want this thing and we're going to make that thing and make sure that we communicate about that thing the right way. And the, a better way maybe to think about it is Schiller's the guy who's introduced the iPhone for the past several years. And he's the guy who geeks out about the camera because he knows the story yeah. of the phone is the camera and he's in it and he knows the specs and he knows exactly how cameras work. And like he cares about the specs and the nerdery of it, but his job is to tell a story out of the specs. So he's just been in part in that world and Apple where marketing is different than almost every other. There's no predatory cabal of ad agencies surrounding Apple because they're doing it all <laughs> right there. He also just to be blunt has had like a super spiky relationship with the press. Mm -hmm. He is very protective of Apple. He famously is the can't innovate my ass guy when they introduced the old Mac Pro. 
Yep. Which it turned out their innovation was wrongly, wrongly directed. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just like a company man through and through. And like that has led to some great successes and some, some obvious misses. Yeah. He's been running the app store for the past uh, little while. And like the app store has been the center of a bunch of controversy lately. Uh, and that's not all on him, but like he's, he's in charge of it. Right. So he, the press release says, what was it? It was like ascends. The verb was, was wild. <laughs> yeah. It's like ascends to Apple fellow which is this title that Apple uses for like famous people. Like Steve Wozniak has the title of Apple fellow. It means he has no responsibilities. Alan Kay, Andy Herzfeld, Alan Kay, like famous computer people get this title to just like float around and go to events. Schiller is getting the title and he's still in charge of the app store and all this product marketing functions are going to Greg Joswiak, who we know really well, who we see at every event. who talks to us about every product. Um, Who's great. I think he will do a great job. Yeah, uh, he's very direct. He's very clear with us. Um, he's also been in a lot of those rooms. But if you just like take a step back from all of this, they're taking the app store away from like the day to day job of one of the executives. They're making it Schiller's entire job, taking him out of the executive team. And then you look even one step farther than that. Johnny Ive, Angela Aarons, Phil Schiller, like a bunch of Apple people are gone, like senior famous Apple people are moving on and there's like an obvious changing of the guard. It kind of feels like this is now Tim Cook's moment. Like he's more in charge of this and all that sort of like Steve Jobs DNA is like kind of like, and like to be fair, he's been there since 1987. I would be bored. How many Porsches does he have? One for every day of the week. (laughs) But you just see this moment where the, all these dudes are moving on. And I think it's a pretty big inflection point for this company with, they're, being, they're not being treated like an underdog anymore. They're a big company that's in front of Congress that controls a big chunk of the economy and that has outsized impact on the entire world. And that's, that's now going to be Tim Cook's version of Apple and sort of the underdog growing Apple has moved on. So I don't know. I don't have like more thoughts than that. There was a lot of them, to be honest. But I don't know. What do you think, Dieter? Well, the, the inflection point is also coming when the Mac switches to ARM and they're going to start really, truly unifying their ecosystem. We've been seeing a bunch of building blocks, you know, the, the catalyst on the Mac and iPad getting, you know, a few more features and becoming more like, can it replace your Mac and blah, blah, blah. blah. They've been like, run, we've, we've been calling it a collision course for years, right? Um, and so like that's that's happening under Tim Cook's watch, under his vision. And everyone's like, well, Tim's not the product guy and there's other, everybody else is a product guy. But like at the next phase of like Apple products and Apple computers and how they work and how they work with each other is um, something beyond what the original vision was uh, under Steve Jobs. Right. And like the DNA of the company and the culture of the company, I still think is like has that Apple core to it. But the the things that they make and the philosophy of how they're supposed to connect with each other and connect with the rest of the world is coming out of the most valuable company in the world, depending on what day it is, not the underdog who got big and like is just realized that it's big now. You know, it's like it's coming from the behemoth, not from the little guy that is just realized it's a behemoth. And that's that's a big shift. Yeah. The other thing I'll note is Apple. Uh, Steve Dowling was another Apple executive who left, I think, less well known to the world, but he was their head of comms. And he was like a powerful head of communications. Like he ran all the press and all the messaging. He's been gone since September. Apple has not had a head of comms since September. Schiller has been running it. And now I don't know who it is. Right. And like, that's just a lot of places where either it's going to be new blood with new ideas 
or they're going to promote people from like within the ranks to to just deal with how do we talk about a company that now some people some powerful people think has too much influence and power across the entire industry and i i don't know like i, I think it's just a I think Schiller had an incredible run. I think almost any tech executive would take Schiller's run. Uh, like certainly, for example, if you ran the tiny phone division at a certain search company, you'd be like, hmm, I'd take Phil Schiller's run. Yeah, it's going to be very strange this fall to like not hear him talking about the iPhone's camera or like the new features or everything else. I guess there's what better time to do it really than this year when there's not going to be that usual iPhone event. And so Jaws can kind of just come in and do whatever they're going to do for the event and uh, maybe find his own approach to it. But yeah, I think Phil's done most of the last several iPhones, so not small shoes to fill. Not, I mean, not even a little bit. And like Phil will get into it on cameras with you. Uh, I mean, he is a nerd. It's and Jaws is like a deeply a nerd too. But there are not many marketing executives who are like, I made a decision that affected the camera while we were developing the product, and Phil had claim to that. We'll just as just this a moment of Apple becoming the bigger company. Like I would say, this is one of the bigger inflection points. Not even I've leaving. Like Johnny, I have left, and we're all like, "Good, right?" Like, <laughs> all right, like battery life. Here we come. Like, How long till the keyboards work? <laughs> yeah, Johnny, I have left. The laptops got thicker, and the keyboard got fixed. <laughs> you know, like and that was one kind of inflection point. This is how does Apple treat itself as a business? So, there's not like executive shuffles of big companies are not usually the kind of news that we talk about, but I think this one is notable. It's worth. You know, saying the dude did an incredible job, but it's also the future of Apple, I think, looks a lot different as the is this group of executives cycles out, which is what we're watching him do. OK, we went over. I don't know why I said we went over. We're actually under our average time. <laughs> Whatever. Well, we went over the time that we're supposed to. Hit. I want to call out one story before we wrap it up. Uh, James Vincent wrote a story about uh, scientists who uh, like the committee of scientists that names like human genes in the genome, uh, they got together and they decided to change their naming scheme because Microsoft Excel kept converting the names into dates. <laughs> and it was easier to change the naming scheme for the human genome than to get Microsoft to change Excel. This is a long and deeply reported story. It has many twists and turns. I just want everyone to read it because there's nothing I love better than human software interaction stories at this scale. So go check that out. The site is rocking. Uh, Casey's actually off this week and next, but the interface is coming back next week. Check out the interface. Dieter is back at Processor. He was actually off, but he's back now. Becca, you got a new show on YouTube. Tell him about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got this new show called Full Frame, where we talk anything and everything cameras. Uh, we're just kind of revving that up, getting really excited about it. I just needed a place where I could like fully nerd out about cameras on, uh, on our YouTube page. So this is that. Uh, the first episode, I built my own camera because... You know, you got to know the rules to break the rules and um, <laughs> learning the rules killed me. So if you want to watch me struggle, go check out episode one of Full Frame on YouTube.com slash The Verge. Very cool. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. Like I said, if all goes well, I'm assuming it will. I love Taylor Lawrence from New York Times. Uh, talk about TikTok. I think that's going to be a fun episode. You can tweet at us. Chris is at Chris Welch. Becca is at Becca Farsace. Dan is DC Seifert. Dieter is Backlon. And I'm Reckless. We'd love to hear from you. Like I said, we'll be back on Tuesday. Talk to you soon. Rock and roll. Wear a mask.
Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.